Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus said to his disciples, a disciple is not above the teacher, nor a slave above the master. It is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher and the slave like the master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, and nothing secret that will not become known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And even the hairs of your head are all counted. So do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. Everyone, therefore, who acknowledges me before others, I also will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I also will deny before my Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you. Lord Christ, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So the theme of today's gospel from Matthew is discipleship. It may not sound like it, but that's what it is. A disciple is a learner, and so a disciple of Jesus is someone learning to follow Jesus. We're all called to this. It applies to us all. A disciple of Jesus Christ is a learner who first listens closely to the teachings of Jesus and then decides on the appropriate response. And the response, that's the hard part. Today's passage contains a soothing and comforting message. We are all valued more than the sparrows. Good news indeed. But then come some pretty rough statements like this. Everyone who acknowledges me before others, I also will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I also will deny before my Father in heaven. Okay, so that sounds easy. What Christian wouldn't acknowledge Christ? It would seem like just claiming, acknowledging that we're Christians would be acknowledging Christ, right? I'm a Christian, I follow Christ. But here's where it gets tough. It's not just the claiming Christianity. It's the committed discipleship, the listening closely to the teachings, and then responding appropriately with our words and actions. It's all about our response. And what might that look like? Well, it may look like the next not so warm and fuzzy sentence from today's gospel. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Jesus comes not to bring peace, but a sword. And what does a sword do? It cuts through. It kills. 
it severs. And then this gospel gets even more hairy. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and this one against that one. One's foes will be members of one's own household. This is the sword that cuts, kills, and severs. Who likes hearing this? Show of hands? I don't. It has to be one of the most uncomfortable, confusing gospel passages. An open invite to family dysfunction. I don't know about you, but my family doesn't actually need any more of that, even in the name of faith. But this passage in Matthew most likely reflects a wider view. The life situation of the community reflects difficulties experienced by followers of the Jesus movement, the original one, due to the reactions of their families and the Jewish authorities. Jesus is addressing the faithful who seek to live the faith while facing conflict and discouragement. The specific mention of close family relationships being severed shows just how difficult and costly discipleship can get. The kingdom's mission leads to conflict, and we disciples need to have an appropriate response to the gospel, regardless of the conflict it causes. Yes, we're all about love and kindness and compassion, but the real work of the kingdom is more controversial, more subversive than conventional love, kindness, and compassion. True discipleship, that is, seeking the kingdom with single-minded determination and letting the chips fall wherever, and at times, that means uncomfortable discord with those around us. Maybe we like to keep the peace. I know I do. I'm more likely to say nothing when a conversation goes against my grain. I don't want to ruin the evening, the dinner, the meeting, whatever. And so I need to question myself at those times, to question whether my response to my call as a disciple is appropriate. It's the gospel at its most challenging, always most challenging when it's uncomfortable. In the end, it's all about radical choices that constitute a life of discipleship. Even small, radical, uncomfortable choices just to speak up about an issue. And we must practice what we preach, right? And so, Trayvon Martin, Eric Garner, Breonna Taylor, Jordan Edwards, Tamir Rice, Ayanna Stanley-Jones, Sandra Bland, Laquan McDonald, Amadou Diallo, Michael Brown, Emmett Till, Ahmed Arbery, Michael Griffith, Renisha McBride, Tony McDade, and some recent others. There are so many names besides George Floyd, and they should all be remembered. But for right now, let's just stick with George Floyd. Much has come out about his background. This is what happens. All the dirt is stirred up as if that diffuses the fact that he was murdered. I've heard it said, or I've seen it on social media, this whole protest movement is based on one man who was not a good guy. I've heard the sentiment that we have all this anarchy now and just because of someone who is not even an upstanding citizen, as if that diffuses the fact that he was murdered. But time after time, God chooses to work through not necessarily the people we consider good, 
but God works through the broken, the people on the margins. There's many examples in the Bible, but the two that resonate with me are Moses, who was a murderer and a fugitive from the law. And the other one is the person we know of as the good thief, hanging on a cross next to Jesus, whose interaction with Jesus has been a message of faith we repeat whenever we tell the story of the crucifixion. Yes, God often works through people on the margins. Apparently birds too. As an insignificant, let's say marginal bird was chosen for today's message about our value. It could have been a peacock, it could have been an ostrich, but Jesus went with the sparrow. The implication is that if God considers even the mere sparrow, a perhaps less than spectacular bird, it's clear where we all must stand. Yes, his eye is on the sparrow and the other birds may be compelled to chirp, all birds matter. But the point here is that even the little sparrow matters. George Floyd matters. We can read his rap sheet and hear stories about his past and his demons, but that's no view into his soul. Even a troubled soul belongs to God, is worth more than two sparrows. Good to know, we all have more value than two sparrows. It's valued as even an insignificant sparrow is valued. That's love as God loves. Indiscriminately, regardless of what kind of bird you are, God is there regardless of your status in birdland or humankind. Doesn't matter who George Floyd is or what he did, you can see very plainly that God has worked through him. I'm getting weary of the Black Lives Matter versus All Lives Matter debate. The basic problem with All Lives Matter is that all lives do not seem to matter. There's prejudice on all sides. I recently came across something that really hit me on Facebook and I posted it. And I've read this over and over the past week and I think I need to read it every day. And, and here's how it goes, it's short. No matter how open-minded, socially conscious, anti-racism I am, I still have old, learned, hidden biases that I need to examine. It is my responsibility to check myself daily for my stereotypes, prejudices, and ultimately, discrimination. We all, no matter who we are, we most likely have biases that we grew up with, that we assimilated from our culture, environments, and families. But the reality is that some of us are better positioned to act on it, to act on hate and fear. And that's white privilege at its scariest. That's white privilege at its ugliest. I've never been a fan of the phrase white privilege. You know why? Because I didn't think it applied to me. And I also felt I was being blamed for something, but I didn't do anything. What I realize now is that sometimes white privilege is passive. 
assumed rights and benefits white people just take for granted and often don't even think about, don't have to think about or appreciate. It's my due, my entitlement. Then there's non-passive white privilege, let's say aggressive white privilege. And that can be as simple as an opinion about an issue or as, an, or as evil as a police officer murdering someone without even being concerned that he's on camera. Our privilege allows white people to get to choose whether or not racism is an issue for us. Because it's not our issue, it's their issue. We have no problem with it because it does not get in our way. It's not our issue until we recognize our role as a disciple of Christ and make it our issue. And that's the kind of thing Jesus is talking about. As I speak from my pedestal of white privilege, I realize that I've had the luxury of not even feeling it until it's pointed out to me. I realize that I'm not exonerated because I don't exercise aggressive white privilege. I realize that passive white privilege is a huge part of it. Can I cure white privilege in America? I doubt it. But what I can do about my own personal white privilege and what we can all do with our biases is to own it and to remember, respect, and acknowledge those who are suffering because of it and to accept that it's not just their problem, it's my problem too. It's my problem too because I'm a disciple of Christ. So it has to be my problem. That has to be my response to discipleship. And it can be as simple as making the effort to become more mindful of how we view things, more mindful of some thinking that may be ingrained in us through no fault of our own. It can be as simple as becoming able and willing to speak out about it, as simple as the desire to work on ourselves to change, and that's no small thing. We should never think this issue is too big for us to confront. It simply has to start in our own hearts and our faith will get us there. Faith is not always pretty. God works through broken people. God meets us outside our comfort zone. These are not easy things to deal with. Most of today's gospel isn't comfortable or easy. I wish it had just ended with the sparrows. But then who said this journey would be easy? I'm so uncomfortable talking about these things. Right now, I'm incredibly, painfully, awkwardly out of my comfort zone. But I don't think an appropriate response to my call to discipleship occurs in my comfort zone. Because where we meet God is not in our routine, comfortable interactions and ministries, but when we're out of our comfort zones. So I'm gonna try and set up camp here, outside my comfort zone. And I invite you all to come and meet me here. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.